Open with me to Isaiah 53. <laughs> Isaiah 53. You guys are funny. <laughs> And read along with me. Everyone there? Isaiah 53, verse 1. And who who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had no violence, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit. In his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, you, he shall see his seed. He, sh, he, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall, shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He. Who? (laughs) We discussed this last week at the Passover Seder in the question and answer. Isaiah 53, why, why, how, how clear those verses are. Who, who else could Isaiah be writing about? If we didn't know that it was written thousands of years before the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we would have definitely thought it was written after because it so clearly pictures what our Savior went through for us. And yet it was written 
prophetically many, many years before. And so we take this chapter, many call the chapter uh, a suffering servant. See, Jesus came to serve. He said, I come to serve, not to be served. He, ex- he was the, our example of a great servant. He was our example of laying down his life for those that he loved. And think about it. He laid down his life for those who despised him. He laid down his life for those who rejected him. He laid down his life for those who dismissed him. And yet he did it willingly. But it says here that there is no beauty that we should desire him. There is no beauty. So I was thinking about that verse. And I was thinking, what makes certain people desirable over others? What is it in them? In our, in our way of looking at things, in our way of looking at people, what characteristics, what features would cause large crowds to assemble before someone? What makes someone attractive to us? What are those things, those, those things that we just, we just can't resist in someone? What draws thousands out to hear what someone has to say? Well, certainly for us, for most of us, we look at the outward. We, we always tend to look at the outward appearance. Someone who's handsome, someone who's beautiful, someone who has a, a, a great way of speaking, someone who's, whose outward appearance is pleasing to the eye. Certainly we would... It would be hard for us to go and, and sit and listen to someone who was disfigured, let's say. You know, who had some type of, of, of infirmity that would cause him to be repulsive to, to the eyes. You know, how, how could we sit there and listen? You know, imagine if, you're, if, if the pastor of a church, you know, just had, had some grotesque uh, deformity? Would you come week after week? Or is it because the person is pleasing to the eye? And, and, and you know, we're a visual people, and, and we so a lot of those things come into play. But for Jesus, you know, we don't have any photographs of Jesus. We only have depictions of what people think that he might have looked like and to be honest with you, I did a lot of, uh, of research over the past week or so on this, and, and most of them probably were in, are incorrect about the depictions that they have of Jesus, especially because there's only one place there's only one place in the scriptures that speak about his physical form, and it doesn't speak about what he, what he looks like; it speaks about what he doesn't look like. And that's here in Isaiah 53. It says in Isaiah 53 that he was ordinary. There was nothing special about his appearance. There was nothing that would attract us to him as human beings. And I thought about what people look for in their earthly leaders. And Many times, that what they look for in their earthly leaders, whether it's a, a pastor or whether it's a president, 
they also look for in their God. They want attractiveness. They want, they want popular. They want cool in their leaders. And they, and they want the same in their God. And physical attractiveness and beauty is something that they place high on the, on the priority list. So we're hung up on those things. But sometimes we can get so hung up on the physical that we miss the message, that we, we miss the deeper part. And I think that's why so many people misunderstand this portion of Scripture. I think that's why the Jews especially discount this chapter of Isaiah as even... Well, first of all, they usually don't even read through it. And secondly, if they do, they don't consider it Jesus. Why? Because the Messiah, the Savior of the world, had to have some type of physical attractiveness. Shouldn't he? Shouldn't there be something special about him? Shouldn't there be something that just says, yes, that's that's what he should look like. That's what he should be. That's what I expect from the Savior of the world. And yet we, we see that that's not, that's not so. Not that Jesus was necessarily ugly, but he was... Think about the times that he, that he, would, um, he would be sitting with his disciples. He would give some, some uh, great... Uh, inspiring message, and then he would disappear into the crowd. How could someone disappear into the crowd if he, if he stood out physically? You know, how could, how could the, the Roman soldiers not know what Jesus looked like when they went to arrest him if he didn't have some type of special physical characteristics? He was ordinary. He, he, looked like, he pretty much looked like everyone else at that time. Nothing special. It's unbelievable to us, and we see in these first two verses here, it's unbelievable when someone makes an impact in this world but doesn't have the physical attributes that we would expect. Doesn't, you know, sort of fit the mold of what we would consider a great person. And so Isaiah speaks of this and and speaks of Israel's rejection of the the suffering servant. So we're going to jump in here in verses 1 and 2 and see see what this has for us. It says again, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You see, Jesus didn't come as a conquering king, someone who we can easily recognize as that savior of the world, but he came as a lowly servant. He came as a lowly servant. In Zechariah 9.9, I think it's, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, 
lowly and riding on a donkey, a, the colt, a, the foal of a donkey. So your king is lowly. Those two things don't really go together. These, these verses came to fruition that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago when Jesus triumphantly went into Jerusalem. But he, he rode in on a lowly donkey. It was, it was made in, in Matthew 21... We just see the fulfillment of that. He was presented that day as a humble servant. It says, So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a, great, very, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? When we read through Isaiah 53, it said, He, he, he. Who is this? He. They didn't recognize him as the king of kings. They didn't recognize him as the Lord of Lords. They certainly didn't recognize him in the way that he was presented to them as the the Savior of the world. And many were amazed that uh, an ordinary carpenter from an obscure city would receive such praise. But check out what it says here in verse 1 of Isaiah 53. The arm of the Lord. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord has been revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember, the arm of the Lord represents the strength of the Lord. The arm of the Lord represents the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was, yes, a suffering servant. We see that, and we will, we will see that as we go through this chapter. Yet God's power was upon him. God's power was revealed in the midst of that suffering. And for us, to make application for us, God's power is revealed in, our, in the midst of our suffering. When we're going through difficulties and we make it through to the other side of those things, it's God, God's power that brought us through. It's God's strength that brings us through in the midst of that. Jesus was our example, but we can apply that to our lives. When, when God's power is evident in someone's life. And, and think about it, especially if they don't fit the profile, you know, of a strong person. When they don't fit the profile of someone who could persevere. When they seem physically weak. And yet, they rejoice through trials. How else could that be except that God's power is upon them? And in ministry, you know, whatever we do for the Lord, wherever we're serving, you know, if we do it in our own strength, uh, it, it, it's, 
It's not going to be as good as if we do it in the Lord's strength. And then the, and then the Lord gets all the glory. Because there are many things that we can do for the Lord in our own strength and, and we can take the credit for it. But if God is empowering us to serve and God is empowering us in ministry, then he gets the glory. And sometimes it's in our weakness that those things are, are just revealed. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, Paul writes, and remember, Paul was going through a very difficult time. And he couldn't understand. He was questioning the infirmity that he had, that, that he prayed and God didn't take away. But he said to me, uh, Paul writes, he said to me, meaning God, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What kind of leader would, would, would we look to if they said, well, I'm, I'm needy and I'm persecuted. I'm always distressed. You know, that doesn't fit the profile. And yet Paul said, in those things, I am strong because it's God's power that's working in me. We may look at someone as weak or timid, but God, that's who God uses. And Jesus is, again, that example that whether it's physical beauty or position in society or, or even where we come from, it's not, that's, the, that's not what's important. It's submitting to God's will. Submitting to God's will. Allowing Him to work in our lives, saying, Lord, Your will, not mine, like Jesus said. You know, in Luke 22, 42, in, in that difficult time before His crucifixion, Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's what we need to say. Father, your will in my life. I can't do this. I need your strength. I want to be in your will, Lord. But I know I can't do it on my own. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to give me that power. And again, think about the physical descriptions of Jesus that are in the Bible. There's not, if, if there was going to be any, they would be in the Gospels, right? They would be in those accounts of Jesus' life that we see, but there's none. If the disciples thought it was important for us to, to get a picture of his physical stature, then they would have definitely put a description there. I think they purposely didn't by the you know, by the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit, did not put that in so that we didn't have that picture in our minds. So that we just worship Him in spirit and in truth, as it says in, in John. Nothing special about Jesus physically. And, you know, we can get caught up in uh, a charismatic speaker or 
someone who's attractive or someone who attracts large crowds. And, and think, think about it, you know, large crowds sort of make us want to get involved with that, but that's not necessarily where God is working. Sometimes it is, but that's not necessarily all the time. And remember, it's the message. It's not the messenger. It's the message of the gospel. So in verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Not a real popular person. Not somebody that we would think, okay, we're going to follow that despised man. We're going to follow that man who's a man of sorrows. I think Jesus was sorrowful and, and, and a man of grief, acquainted with grief, because he grieved over the sin of man. He grieved over man's situation. The preconceived notions that we have of a, a VIP can, can cause us to reject those who don't fit that mold. And we do it now just like they did back then. We do it now. We want our leaders to be strong and joyful, not sorrowful and, and grieving, not weak. And how many of us needed to be convinced that Jesus was worth esteeming, truly? I mean, how many of us needed to really get to know Jesus so that we could worship him and honor him and esteem him? Because at first glance, there was nothing attractive. How many people don't come to the Lord just because there's nothing there? I mean, there's nothing that they can see in their eyes that attracts them to Jesus until you get to know him, until you have that deeper relationship with him. Then you see the beauty. You see the love. And then, and then you know why he's, he should be esteemed. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So Jesus grieved and sorrowed because he took our griefs and he took our sorrows. Upon him. See, all of the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus. The weight of that sin, the consequences of that sin, spiritual and physical, laid on Jesus. And when we sin, we think we should think about laying that all on Jesus. Remember, he took the sins of the world, past, present, future. That sin that we'll commit next week, Jesus already took upon him on the cross. All of the weight of that. I considered this, this verse that he bore our griefs and I contemplated the sinfulness of man and, and then I thought that man will fail us, but Jesus never fails us. And yet we often look to man more than we do to the Lord. And I think, again, because sometimes because we're visual, because they have some type of attractive trait or something that appeals to us, 
and think about what Jesus did on the cross and how much more amazing it is when we consider the sinfulness of of man. But he was wounded for our transgressions, verse 5. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So we see that transfer there. Our transgressions, he took the wounding. Our iniquities, he took the bruising. In order to receive, to bring us to a place of peace with God, he took the penalty. In order to heal us from our sin sickness, he received the punishment that we deserve. Now think about all those men that are attractive to us. All of those people who, has, who have physical characteristics that are appealing to us. Would any of them take penalty for your transgressions? And then I think about what Jesus, his appearance now at the right hand of the Father and how he will appear when he returns in judgment and how he will appear in eternity. And he bears those scars, the Bible says. Remember, he showed his wounds to his disciples after his resurrection as proof that it was the same Jesus. And he carries those wounds into eternity. But why? Again, like I said before, why would someone want to present themselves in a way that they are disfigured or mutilated? That's not appealing. It's a sign of dishonor, isn't it? If we think about it, man tries to present himself in the best possible light, and then the, but the Savior wants us to remember him at his time of suffering. He carries those scars to remind us of that. We want to put our best foot forward, and yet Jesus shows us the scars in his hands. I like how Spurgeon put it. He's always pretty deep. He says, Christ wears these sears in his body in heaven as his ornaments. The wounds of Christ are his glories. They are his jewels and his precious things. Nor are these only the ornaments of Christ. They are his trophies, the trophies of his love. Have you ever seen a soldier with a gash across his forehead or in his cheek? Why, every soldier will tell you that the wound in battle is no disfigurement. It's his honor. If, said he, I received a wound when I was retreating, a wound in the back, that were to my disgrace. But if I received a wound in a victory, then it's an honorable thing to be wounded. How powerful that picture is. Jesus carries the scars. He wants us to remember his suffering. And yet, it says in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So the, the, the confession of, of man, that we go our own, our own way. 
that we turn from what the Lord offers us. That we reject that suffering servant because our way is better. Man goes astray and he's tried to go his own way since the very beginning. But if we think about it, every time we go our own way, we lay more and more and more iniquity on Jesus. The weight of that sin of going our own way. The ugliness of the sin being laid upon Christ. And he's not concerned about it marring his, his beauty, his physical beauty, because his great love for us was demonstrated in that sacrifice. Then it goes on, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth, He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. What popular man, what popular man would accept the penalty for a crime or a transgression that he didn't commit? What famous person would have the integrity to die in silence for someone else? What person of physical beauty that we admire would do that? Think about it, even a guilty man is going to fight for his freedom But how about an innocent man? Jesus went willingly to benefit those who would believe in him. Now listen, Isaiah 53 is a difficult passage for people to accept because they don't want to believe it because it just doesn't seem right that the Savior of the world is a suffering servant. And I love the example. Remember, Isaiah was written thousands of years before, and and then even in the New Testament, even after Christ, at the beginning of Christianity, they still questioned this chapter. In Acts 8, I think it's up there, verse 27 through 35. Remember this account. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? 
for his life is taken from the earth. Isaiah 53. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And I love this verse. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Preach Jesus. This is the man. This is the suffering servant. This is the one of whom it was written. When people can't find the attractiveness of Jesus, we need to preach Jesus to them. When people don't understand how the Savior of the world could be a suffering servant, we need to preach the gospel to them. We need to let them see what Jesus is doing in our lives. We need to have that good testimony of how this suffering servant saved me. Because people don't understand. And back to verse, uh, verse 10 of Isaiah 53, we'll finish up. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pl- pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he, for he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus became our sin offering to satisfy the wrath of God on a wicked world. See, it was God's plan all along to offer Jesus as the one and only sacrifice that he would accept to cover sin's penalty. And it was God's plan all along that we should receive that gift and be saved. Therefore, verse 12, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Dividing him a portion with the great, dividing the spoil speaks of victory. A great military victory. But this was not the military leader that the people expected. This was the humble, suffering servant who was always the king of the world, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And although at that time people didn't recognize it, and many today still don't recognize it, We who know Jesus, we who know what he's done for us, we who believe in that sacrifice and put our faith and trust in what he did on the cross, taking all of the sin of the world upon him, we need to make that known in this world. See, this Jesus completed that mission that he was sent to earth to do. He was not sent to earth to live a sinless life, although he did. He was not sent to earth to start a religion. He was sent to earth to die, to complete that 
that mission, and he did it. And he was exalted because of it, and we are saved because of it. Let's pray.